0: We're going to go to the word. We're going to go to the word. I want to take you in the whole spirit of Pentecost and the early days of the church, the things that happen that are so very, very, very important. The word essential has showed up a lot recently. Okay. And if it be with the, uh, uh, with the, uh, what is it? The, the CDC, if it is be with the stimulus programs, etc. a lot of things have m- been mentioned around the essentials and the church. Did you know is classified in the middle of this pandemic as an essential. And one of the reasons is, uh, though you may not see this on the news is if you were to shut the church down, its benevolent arm today, there would not be much benevolence going on in an organized way in the community because the vast majority, just stop and think about Samaritan's purse and life source. And, uh, and Potter's House, and Compassion, and go down the line of all the churches that participate in some kind of outreach to the community, we make up the majority of it. There are some state-sponsored things, but the church makes up the vast majority of that extension to the community. And I think that's just beautiful. So the church is essential, let's say. But also, I want you to see something with that definition of essential in mind. That happened in the New Testament church that I believe is absolutely important for all of us to understand. It will secure our longevity. It will determine our victory for the future. Okay, the essential, I love this adjective, absolutely necessary, extremely important. So if you will, stand with me for the reading of the scripture and I'm going to take us to Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and you will see these absolutely necessary and extremely important essentials in the first verse. Here it is. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer Four essentials right there, a deep sense of awe. Now kind of watch the flow of those essentials in place and see what happens. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That had to be a move of the Spirit of God right there. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And may God add his blessing to our reading of his word. You may be seated. It is very interesting to me to note that the early church was known for these four consistent essentials that were practiced that brought unity and harmony. And I wanna say determined the victory of the church for the future. And I don't think we need to neglect them, although the church has neglected many of them. First of all, I want you to see these four one more time so that we can talk about them. They were devoted to the apostles teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship with one another. They were devoted to breaking bread together, or communion, one and the same there. And they were devoted to prayer. So looking at these, I want to start with this one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The question is, what was the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching, the apostles were those who had firsthand encounter with Christ and his teaching. They walked with him. They were Mentored by him. They were taught by him. And these men knew the teachings of Christ. And then they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the commission that he had assigned for them to do. They were qualified to teach the things that Jesus taught, very qualified to do so. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach the things that Jesus taught. Just as Jesus said, I've come to do only the will of the Father who sent me. So they can stand and say, we are here to only do the will of Christ who has commissioned us to take the good news of the gospel to the world that is in need. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's the good news. That's the true apostolic teaching. That's the teaching of the apostles to be devoted to the teaching of, of the word means more than just reading the word, but it also means meditating on it and allowing it to become a part of the very fiber of our spiritual being so that our frame of reference is the Word of God. Our call to action is the Word of God rather than the things that we would be pushed here and there to by the doctrines of men and those things that we have tickle our ears. There's scripture on all that. But to know the Word of God and to have it hidden in our heart that we might not sin against God Is one of the main ingredients we need to learn to meditate on the Word of God reading and meditating on the Word of God will enable us to live a victorious life I am convinced of that whatever we meditate on whatever we think about most of the time becomes our foundation would you agree with that you see if we meditate on things that are not of God it will turn into doubt about God. But we must meditate on the things of God so that our faith remains strong and we do not stop start doubting God. Doubt is a fear-based, is fear-based, and, and fear will choke out the faith that we have in God. As we think on God's word, it will strengthen our faith in God. So we search our hearts and we purpose that we are going to wait upon the Lord. I love what Colossians chapter three says in the message, listen to this. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let your detail in every detail in your life, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master Jesus thanking God, the father, every step of the way. We need to be devoted to the word of God. So it is the foundational element of our life. And it is the purpose in which we pursue everything we do. Does it line up with the word of God? The second thing they did that was essential. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to fellowship. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the to the people that were standing there and there were over 3,000 people that were saved that day. Now, just think about that. That's where the church began, but there's probably no greater possibility of chaos in the beginning of this new enterprise called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ than right there when there are 3,000 people with various persuasions and many who know nothing about the teachings of Christ, know nothing about the way of the Father, but yet 3,000 people that day determined we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. What they did is they heard the word and now they want to stay with the body of Christ. They don't want to move out of this circle. They want to stay close to one another because that is the source of joy. That's the source of enlightenment. That is the source of, of, of life to them because this is a new thing that's happened in my life. You know, uh, I just, I I think sometimes we, we get in a hurry and we forget that we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we need to spend quality time with one another because as we do, we are building each other up. Fellowship immediately became an important part of their reason for meeting together. They wanted to meet together. They wanted to know one another. I tell pastors that I work with when they talk about church growth things and multiple services, et cetera, I ask them what time their services start. And they'll usually give me like, for instance here, nine o'clock or 11 o'clock. Well, truth be known, that's not really when church starts because most of you plan your Sunday around a certain time. I want to get there at least 15 minutes early and subconsciously, if you know it or not, you're, you get in that pattern. That's when church starts for you It's when you see somebody on this campus that you know and you've been looking forward to connecting with them all week long. Fellowship is a very important part. It strengthens us and it calls us together. The apostle John was there at Pentecost and he is one who walked with Christ and heard his teaching and learned from him. And he makes this observation in first John. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that you may have, you you may fully share in our joy. He said, I have great joy because I have walked with him, talked with him, learned from him. I want to share that joy with you. So in fellowship, we are all rejoicing over the miracle that's just happened in your life. In fellowship, we are all standing together and learning from those valleys that we go through together. I like that. Fellowship was a priority in the early church. And fellowship means we celebrate what we have in common. And what we have in common is Christ Jesus. True Christian fellowship is a celebration of relationships rather than an activity that we feel obligated to plan. Oh, I've got to get with them, it's an obligation. No, we're, we're celebrating relationships. It's not a hassle when we start celebrating relationships. But if we try to schedule it into our busy world, we're gonna miss the mark. But if we will look at each other and say that's a valued relationship in my life, we will make room for that relationship and we will celebrate in fellowship together. Now a Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It's to share together. It's it's, it's a sense of partnership. That's the kind of fellowship that we're called to. John chapter 14 verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the father. That's partnership. He says, I have called you, I've commissioned you, and in this relationship, this of koinonia through the Holy Spirit, you are partners with me in the spreading of the gospel. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. For I labored over the next two minutes right here more than anything in my message today. It is this, it's very relevant, this fellowship feature for us today as it was then. In the tension of our current reality we the body of Christ must stand together we know that we preach that we talk that we we, we seem to understand that that's got to happen but I suggest In our ill-concerned words, ill-chosen words that often we use that divides, that we set at the table together and seek understanding and be willing to even ask for forgiveness if necessary so that we can get in the same lane of conversation and be partners in Christ in fellowship toward the common good of letting the gospel be the gospel and we not being an interference to it. Too often we think ignoring the elephant in the room will some way normalize the relationship. No, not at all. It will only intensify the lack of trust. If trust is ever going to be established, there has got to be fellowship. We have got to have fellowship together. May we guard our words and walk in true koinonia with one another so that we can be partners in the common good of the love of God for a world that is desperately in need of a savior. Well, quickly, they devoted themselves also to the breaking of bread and communion. I love the fact that we celebrate communion here at CLC. We do it every month and also making room in our chapel Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with a pastor that is on call there And for about four hours around the noon hour from 10 to two, you can come in. And if you want to pray alone or if you want them to pray with you, but communion elements, boy, they've got them fancy now, just those self-contained deals, you know, that nobody else gets into but you. You can take one of those. You can take communion. You can just wait in the presence of the Lord. We celebrate communion because we understand the value of breaking bread in his presence. And it always had to do, uh, I say always, it had an awful lot to do with the meal that they would enjoy together. You will remember in the scripture in Luke chapter 22, uh, just as a reference place that it said after supper had ended, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he took the cup. So it's at the end, we, we hurry to dessert. To dessert. <laughs> wouldn't it be good if we said, uh, well, that would shock everybody, wouldn't it? We have you over for roast beef and now we're through. Before we go, can we take communion together? Now, stop and think of the value in the family of God as partners in Christ. If we were to stop and say, here's what we're going to do. We are now going to refocus all of our attention on the reason we are here and the purpose for the life we have in Christ. We are going to remember him. We're going to remember him. One of the reasons the church is still alive today is because often around the world, and please don't judge it by just our rituals here, but look at the big picture globally. There are people that come to the table of the Lord and they remember Jesus and everything that he did for them, everything they did for him. And I want to tell you regardless what anybody thinks about historic things that are going on and all of the the, the changing of of, of history, not only in America, but around the world right now with with statues and flags and everything else And, and some of it I like and some of it I don't like. But I want to tell you the church of Jesus Christ will never ever be able to replace the table of the Lord where we stop and we remember we remember the price that he paid. He paid a price for our sins that we could not pay for ourselves. And may we never ever forget the value. Let me just hurry to say this. I would suggest to some of you that you not just wait until it be the first Sunday of the month in the church, but maybe it is at your table at home. Maybe it's just you alone. Maybe it is just you and your companion. Maybe it's you and your family that we set. And maybe we breach those hard questions and talk about difficult subjects and we've we've said we need forgiveness and we pray for forgiveness and oh, the nerve endings are still right there. There's nothing that will bring it back into the realism of his grace and his love if we will stop and say, may we now partake in communion together for it is he who gave his life for us. It's essential to the body of Christ. It's essential for the victory of the body of Christ. So may we come to the table of the Lord. And then the fourth thing that was said was about prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Well, one of the things that I really want to emphasize here about prayer is that out of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they chose prayer. They said, would you teach us how to pray? And he taught them prayer in sincere humility. He starts in Matthew chapter six, telling them these are things that you have been inundated with through religion and things you have observed, but I'm gonna tell you this is not what you do. And Jesus is not a negative figure, (laughs) but he had a whole list of things. Don't do this, don't do this don't do this. Uh, And if I've captured your curiosity there and you've never read it, go home and read Matthew chapter six, start at verse number one. And he tells us the things that will hinder the sincere prayer of humility that touches the heart of God. And then he makes an incredible statement. He says, here's what I want you to do. Matthew six, chapter six, But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, enter into the secret place, enter into that place of vulnerability Enter to that place of a true accountability. Enter to that place where you may be embarrassed, but you will fall in the arms of the gracious one who loves you when you confess. Enter into that quiet place alone. I have this observation for you. The church has majored on corporate prayer, and thank God for corporate prayer. But I'm going to go out a limb and say this, okay? Because I believe this. The church is not seeing what needs to happen through corporate prayer. Because there is first not a personal prayer. If there's a personal prayer. That's truly before God. Humbly before God. And then we come together in those strengths. And we lay our petitions down together. Oh we'll see mountains move. I believe that. But the first call, the first call is to that secret place where we get alone with God, we humble ourselves and in doing so, we find strength and grace. Prayer changes things, but most of all, prayer changes me. And too often I'm concerned about the things that need to change. Oh, I'm ready to go tackle this. Maybe I need to get alone and say, God, is, is there something in me that I'm missing here? I need to hear from you. I don't need to just go on my own understanding. I need to acknowledge you and your ways and let your will be done in my life. My encouragement to you today is find that secret place. And when you go there, close the door. Steve Dixon's term on this right here. Here's my language. It ain't nobody's business. When you close the door, you can say, here I am. (laughs) And if you're like me, you'll say, here I am again. Oh, I've done that many times. I need you, Jesus. And then when you don't even have words to contain what you're trying to say, Do like Mother Teresa said. She said, pray often and sometimes use words. We don't have to use words. We can just be still in his presence. And oh, will he download into our spirit if we'll just give him the opportunity. Well, that's my message today.